This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, my name is Ricky Smith, and I'm the founder of Random Acts of Kindness Everywhere, a nonprofit that simply does exactly what it says. Promote kindness everywhere. We know the world is crazy right now. If you are searching for a podcast that has a deeper conversation about race, my co-host Angel Gray and I will be discussing everything going on right now on our podcast, Random Acts of Podcast on Blue Wire Podcast Network. To find out more, go to rakenow.org. Enjoy the show. Blue Wire. Thank you, Bob Lewis. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Welcome into episode 81 of Press Pass, brought to you by Bet Online. I'm Kayla Anderson alongside my co host Joshua Perry. Uh, I know last week, Joshua, was a, a tough week, a, a lot of uh, stuff going on. This, this past week, really, um, not not a lot different. I mean, emotionally, I know we were talking before the podcast. Uh, it's it's been a draining couple of weeks, but um, there has been some positive signs uh, in terms of heading towards the direction of change. But then there's a lot still to be done. How are you doing, my friend? Um, I'm doing. You know, it's it's it, you're right. It's it's been exhausting. I don't think it's necessarily been better. Uh, you know, things have calmed down in terms of you know the the response and what's going on currently with protesting you know it's been largely peaceful as of late but Mm -hmm. i also still see the images of protesters and police getting contentious um you're you're seeing more injustices in the world that are coming to light and then for me personally it's been tough like over the weekend i had uh some friends who wanted to to call and talk about what's going on i was just not in a place to answer anybody's phone calls about any of the stuff going on because i you know done so much talking and so much explaining uh, I just uh, I wasn't going to spend my weekend necessarily doing that. So I apologize to folks who might have been um, looking for answers or trying to understand. But, you know, for my own personal well-being and mental health, I just had to put it down. But I, I see positivity. I see and, and part of it is so selfish for politicians. But, you know, they, they realize that their jobs are now on the line. So I see them trying to make some changes in, in, in you know, police reform, which is a great thing. I see police officers that are also becoming outspoken about uh, some of the bad actors in their profession and and things that they can do to earn the trust of the community, as well as activists who want to humanize folks that belong to their in-groups to police officers and to other members of the community so there are less misunderstandings. So all of that becomes positive. Um, And and, in the the framework of sports, uh, we've (laughs) seen now where somebody as prominent as Drew Brees, you know, makes a, a statement and then is able to to within you know a couple of days and conversations with people who are in it instead of 
you know, maybe what the media narrative is, he's able to come to a realization uh, about what's going on and the meaning of all of what's going on, which is a positive thing. So I see the wheels turning. I see change um, in its formative stages, but we, we need to make sure that we're keeping the progress. Yeah, definitely. It, this is not just something that happens over a two-week span uh, or what have you. You're exactly right. It, it is something that we need to continue to do and continue to say. It's it's not something you can just say or just put a video up about, which I think uh, you know, some of this in the terms of the college football world, we're seeing some really good stuff. Uh, we saw we saw last week, I believe, a couple um, teams that I specifically cover. I know the Tennessee Volunteers, uh, Jeremy Pruitt and his players were out uh, in Knoxville and uh, doing a peaceful protest, which was really cool to see. Um, saw some of the video on that and some other schools have done the same thing, which I think is really neat with their coaches involved. Um, but one coach that I know that we've, you and I specifically are, are tough on, and I think that there's reasons for that. Dabo Sweeney, I, I had messaged you, I think it was two days ago and said, you know, still just not much from Dabo and there hasn't really been anything. And plus there was some things that had happened within the program we'd heard about that there was still no explanation about. And then you sent me something, something last night and he had put out a 14 minute video to explain really the story behind the allegations on the whole assistant coach who directed a racial, racial slur towards a player. Also, there was uh, a player attended sit-in at Clemson that he uh, mentioned in there. And then the t-shirt he wore, as well as race, racially charged music playing, there's a whole incident surrounding that as well. All of this is explained by Dabo in this video. Um, if you haven't seen the video, I encourage you to go watch it and, and come to your own conclusion but we are going to kind of express what we saw out of it. So I want to start with you, Joshua, specifically. Um, what did you take from this, this explanation slash statement made by Sweeney yesterday? Um, it's, he, he did more by way of defending himself against yes. um, you know, yes. racist accusations than mm -hmm. he ever did about actually criticizing racism yeah. that currently exists, which is what's so disappointing. Yep. You know, and, and he can feel however he wants to feel. The world is full of sin. I'm a Christian man. I can definitely acknowledge that. But what you're not going to do is necessarily group, you know, uh, uh, stealing in with with a police officer brutally murdering somebody in the streets. Like, you know, we can say in the eyes of God that all sin is equal, but it's really not. Um, right. You know, some things are more egregious that happen on, on earth in, in interacting with human life than others. So for me, it was it was unique watching the effort that he put into a 14 minute mm -hmm. deny, deny, deny mm -hmm. type of video, uh, you know, versus the effort that he put into uh, a statement that took him basically a week in, in commenting on acknowledging what was going on in the world. Now, what's what's always there? I mean, there are a million things I can point to in this situation that are tough. Um, first one to me, and we talked about this, but he's, you know, he, he opens up by saying that there are two words in his program that yep. are forbidden, the N word and GD. Yep. And then he goes on to say that if a coach ever called a player, the N word that mm -hmm. he would fire them, yep. but a coach can say the N word and there's really no punishment at all. Mm -hmm. That that's, that's really troublesome to me and especially in a situation where he's trying to police the n-word around 
the facility, you know, players can't say it and we can't listen to music with it. And I, I've been around coaches who have um, those same policies. And I personally have an issue uh, with white people policing black folks use of the N word, um, you know, as, as a, a form of reclaiming our oppression, we have reclaimed that word for our use. Um, and, and people won't understand it, but it's the same thing um, that, that feminists have done in a way with some words that are known as derogatory toward women. Um, mm-hmm. When they use it, it's it's to reclaim a word that has been used to oppress them and it's supposed to be empowering. People can't understand right. that concept. And it's not really for people to understand, it's for you to respect. But I, I have a problem with, with white people policing black people's use of the N-word, period. But then in a, a, a way where you're like, you know, I would fire a coach if he if he called a player it, but I won't fire him if he says it. And then, you know, the player that was in question, well, his dad is a coach too, uh, which in my mind is like, yeah, you know, we could we could have definitely blackballed his dad from the profession if, if they would have been outspoken about what went on. And I know a lot of people wouldn't read it that way. But, you know, in my mind, I always have those questions because of how easily these things can be swept under the rug, even when a player's father is a part of a staff. It was really hard for me to understand. So that was troublesome. And then I think probably the other thing that really got under my skin was the the shirt that he wore, the football yeah, matters football shirt. Matters. And, and, you know, I, I understand yeah. the football matters thing. It's like, a, I think it's the National Football Foundation um, as a part of their movement. And I, I believe, obviously, that football matters. You know, I've played the game. I love the game. I get paid for being associated with the game still. Um, but I think the situation is one of those read the room Dabo type situations. Mm-hmm. The shirt really it's 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 offensive and inappropriate in the context of what's going on in the world with Black Lives Matter. And it not to say that Dabo was trying to be inappropriate or trying to be offensive, but that's how it ended up. And the fact of the matter is with Dabo, Dabo Sweeney loves being the aw shucks, yep. I'm ignorant, just an old ball coach, you know good old boy from a small town type of guy. And it works in a lot of ways. I think people love him for that reason. I think recruits can get on board with him for that reason. But the fact of the matter is when you're the representative of a university, you know, an educated group of people, you can't be ignorant. When you make, when you're on a $93 million contract, you can't be ignorant. And when you have to be a voice for players and you have to represent their best interests in what's going on in the world, you can't play the ignorance card anymore. It, you at some point you have to you have to make a statement. You have to pick a side. You know you can't just be a, a football coach. You can't just be a, a a good old Christian boy from the south. At some point you have to to do what's in the best interest of your program, and you, you have to call a spade a spade. Yeah, I thought it was interesting in there. A lot of times I would hear him say, "Well, this is just football." you know, we're just a football team or, you yeah. know, this is just and the I'm game just of football. And I'm just a football coach. Yeah. Right. And for me, what, what I guess bothered me about this whole thing is, um, you know, first of all, did the delayed reaction. I just think anytime there's a, this much of a delayed reaction to something, um, when you're one of the top coaches in college football with one of the best teams, um, over the past several years in college football, and it takes this much time for you to come out and say anything. And then second of all, the whole time, you're just pretty much defending the things that have, you know, surrounded your program that have come out. Um, but then third, it, it's kind of just like, it's kind of like, to me, he was pushing away the fact that anything else goes on in, outside of the program that he's concerned about. 
it, it was almost like, okay, well, I care about my players, his, his, you know, all his players, his African-American players, his white players, whatever. And you could go and say, yeah, his players love him. He's, you know, he's a player's coach, whatever. But to me, it was almost like he wasn't trying to touch on anything outside of football, which when it comes down to it, that is what's going on. And when some of these players move on and aren't playing football, they're going into the, uh, the outside world, you know, the real world. Um, and it just seems like this, this had nothing to do with like the bigger picture of what's going on. And I'm not saying that every coach has to, you know, touch on all the details, but this is clearly a guy who, who was kind of avoiding that. And it seems like he's kind of avoiding because he really doesn't understand the bigger picture. No, I don't think he does. And and I agree with you as well. Like, you know, folks will say, well, and I'm not I'm not trying to accuse Dabo of of being racist, but folks will say, well, how can he be racist? Because, you know, he he recruits uh, black players and he has black coaches on his staff, et cetera, et cetera. And it's it's the old, well, I have black friends type of situation where, you know, you have black friends and you you like and you respect your black friends. But do you respect all black people? Um, yeah. And are, are you not complicit in racism, you know, are you actively anti-racist? And for Dabo, I can say that he definitely is not anti-racist. And in fact, he could be complicit in racism to some extent, um, especially with the amount of silence that's gone on. And I, I want I want to get this off my chest too, because I think Dabo, in a way, is probably avoiding making a, a statement one way or the other, because you know it comes across as a political statement. Lives are never political. It's you know, yep. racism is not a political thing. It's it's a human rights thing. It's a right or wrong thing. Um, and I hate when people try to politicize it, but but here's a statement for anybody who hasn't found the words to, because I'll, I'll be completely honest here, played for Urban Meyer. I, I love the guy to death. You know, he's been great to me, great opportunities. His Twitter timeline has been devoid of any commentary on what's happened. Um, yeah. and, and he he did a, a commencement speech for the class of 2020 that aired on local news network. And, um, you know, he made a comment in there, but I, I feel like that was a situation where he definitely had to. And I'd spoken to him on the phone and, you know, he, he said that he's having trouble coming up with the words, which I understand. But here, here's for anybody who's having trouble. Let me give you a little template here. Racism is bad. What happened to George Floyd should never happen to anybody. That was egregious. Police brutality is bad in Black Lives Matter, period. You can say those four things. Yep. And you basically cover all the bases of what everybody is trying to get off your chest. It doesn't have to be this elaborate statement about how you love and respect everybody in this, that, and the third. No, what you need to say is that racism, no good. George Floyd should have never died like that. Black lives absolutely matter. Police brutality, no place in America, period, point blank, the end. And it's just as simple as that. Yeah, that's well said. And really, like you said, I think some people get... Even I can use the word nervous um, or don't know if they're, it's going to come out right. You could look at Drew Brees and the whole incident with him um, and what happened um, that I think sometimes you just need to know. It's it's really common sense <laughs> in what 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 is right and what is wrong. Um, so I think the way that you put it uh, for those people out there that don't know how to explain it, you don't necessarily have to explain it, but you just need to understand it. And those are definitely a few things that you could say that 
are pretty much the basics of what this whole thing is about. And it's not that hard. It's not a political statement. It's, it's really okay, not people? <laughs> it's really not. Um, I thought this was interesting too, Joshua, on the note of Clemson. I read that um, former Clemson players, DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson, they're petitioning the university to remove um, the name of John C. Calhoun from the school's honors college. Hopkins actually, and I did not know this. So I did know this. Hopkins noted that obviously the slave owner's influence is the reason. I did not know this, that he did not mention the university's name when he's introduced before NFL games. I had no idea that that was that was the reason. Because you know how some some players, they do like their high schools or they'll like yep. just not say their college. So I thought that was really interesting. And it looks like they're um, kind of going in the direction of doing that. What do you feel about all of this um, you know, I, I know a lot of statues are being taken down. Um, names, obviously, this one specifically being petitioned to take off the Honors College, uh, because there's some people that are like, well, it's a part of history. Sure. Um, you you have to kind of explain history. But at the same time, monuments and being named after schools, that's that's kind of giving them props in a way. So how what's the best way to, to, to explain this? Well, first off, I, I think that it's a part of history thing is is. It's it's funny. Like I, I think America has a very funny relationship with history, and I feel like we have trouble, especially reconciling with this part of our history. Um, I, I think that um, slavery has been softened and whitewashed in a lot of ways um, through history and the way that it's been explained. I think the Civil War has been whitewashed and softened as well. And and you know, people say it's about states' rights. It was it was literally about the ability to own people, point blank, mm-hmm. period. And then I think the Reconstruction era after after the Civil War and, and Jim Crow has been whitewashed and softened as well, um, almost to the point where, you know, like we're we're in the situation, I believe, uh, with police officers and not necessarily police officers, but with policing yeah. in that structure the way it is because of our history and our inability to reconcile with it. So I'll say that. Um, and then I'll ask the question, like, if you went to if you went to Germany, would you see statues of Hitler or any of his generals in the army anywhere throughout Germany? And the answer is absolutely not. It's, it's a literal crime to, you know, yep. to, to have a swastika. Um, you know, people fly Confederate flags and, and they, you know, Robert E. Lee's name is on a bunch of stuff. And so I think the argument that we have it because we need to acknowledge our history and it's a part of history is stupid. We have books for a reason. We don't need statues of these people. Um, they were right. literally anti-America. Like if, you know, and, and we're, we're in a place where a lot of folks are, you know, such and such is anti-America and Colin Kaepernick's anti-America and this, that, and third, like, no, the people who were literally anti-America were the Confederates because that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to secede from the union. They were trying to become their own sovereign nation. And the fact of the matter is that Germans know and understand the gravity and the egregiousness of the Holocaust without having monuments and flags being flown that are representative of that time period. So as Americans, I think we need to accurately write about, accurately talk about, accurately address our history and do it in, in a candid and honest way. Um, and, and that's a way that we can memorialize what happened and make sure that it never happens again. But having statues, absolutely not. You know, Take them all down, take these slave owners' names off of these universities. And I'll, I'll say too, and I'm, I'm long-winded on this, but- No, no, it's good. Part of the conversation is for a lot of young black folks to walk onto um, a college campus of a predominantly white university is it's daunting. 
because yeah. you you know a lot of these folks are used to being in racially homogenous neighborhoods where people look like them and then they walk into these campuses where not many people look like them and then you walk into a building that has a slave owner, owner's name on it like that makes you feel so little a lot yeah. of times and so i think just for the psychology aspect of it and having an inclusive environment where um, it's not as daunting for folks who have never been in a situation like they would be on a college campus in terms of um, the diversity and the mix of people. I think that's a great step forward in making sure that folks can assimilate to college life a little bit better. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point right there. I just feel like it seems like we're just here in in America. We we are a little bit far behind in terms of you know those type of things. I just think that they've been um, so called that's kind of like normal for especially the south like just to have everything kind of just continue like that and i think we're finally seeing that start to change just kind of crazy it took this long (laughs) um well there is no shortage of action going on and our exclusive partner bet online has it all for you nascar is back and bet online has hundreds of other games events and sports you can get in on you can still bet on simulated nfl nba and ufc events 24 7 or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament uh, you can enter for free. And live right now on Bet Online's YouTube channel, you can find our exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they are now calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use that promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet Online, your online waging solution. Okay, so the we have talked about how players have come back on campus to do some voluntary workouts. We have talked about, you know, some of the COVID tests. They had players at uh, Alabama, at Arkansas State coming back with positive tests. Uh, and then I read this high, this headline on ESPN, NCAA Division 1 Football Oversight Committee uh, drafts a six-week practice plan for schools. So now they're starting to really kind of come up with a plan of actually getting teams together. Um, I saw yesterday Ohio State players and coaches were back on campus. It was really exciting to see uh, some of the guys walking in. I saw obviously Coach Combs. That was a weird sight. Uh, Not walking to the Titans facility yesterday, but rather the Woody Hayes, but I'm excited for him there as he's back at Ohio State. Um, Obviously, you saw Coach Day, um, all of them wearing masks. So you're seeing some of these programs getting back in the building. Um, But coaches throughout the country could actually begin working out with their players as soon as July 6th as a team. Um, Required meetings and walkthroughs could start mid-July if the proposed six-week practice plan is approved by the NCAA later this month. So under this proposal, Joshua, the athletes have up to 20 hours of accountable, athletically-related activities, including weight training, conditioning, film review, walkthroughs, and meetings. And then a normal four-week preseason camp would begin after the additional additional two weeks of enhanced training. So there's a lot that goes into this. What do you think about this proposed six-week plan? And, and do you think you know, we're on the right track to seeing football being played on time? Yeah, I think we're definitely on the right track. And again, the the every, every week that goes by, the more confident I am that we're going to play football and it's going to start on time. This is, I think this is a good plan. You know, there there are a lot of hours, there are a lot of sessions that these teams need to be able to recoup. Uh, I know, for example, some teams 
might have had uh, 12 or 15 spring practices. I know other teams that have only had three. Um, so it's going to be probably more imperative for the teams that had less time in the spring to get together and, and to practice and uh, be on the field to have some of these walkthroughs and uh, film sessions uh, where they can really get back into the X's and O's and get back into the chemistry aspect of playing ball. The one thing that I fear is player burnout. And, yeah. you know, you've seen it a number of times, like the young players and in, in, from being in the facility, both in the NFL and in college, young players have a certain pep in their step early on in the season. And by the end of the year, they look like zombies. And I would hate for these rosters to, to have guys by the end of the year that are like struggling to get to the finish line because they're trying to play catch up. The fact of the matter is yeah. we don't have very many other options. So, you know, it's, it's going to be incumbent upon uh, these coaches, strength staffs, whatever, to make sure that they're being smart about uh, player recovery and smart about when they have days off and what their rest looks like and everything else. However, um, I'm very, very excited to see a plan that is being rolled out into, you know, action moving forward because, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, especially the way the world is right now, like people really, really want some sports and football is an American institution. Um, and to see that we're, we're day by day getting closer. It's just a beautiful thing. Yeah. I, that's a good point though, about the burnout. Um, and I think that this just everything is different this time around when it comes to preparing for this upcoming upcoming season because not only are you trying to to get everything in and get people up to speed which believe me a lot of these players are going to have to get up to speed I mean there's just been uh, months of not being able to do anything team related or having anything in person it's just been virtual which I think you can only get so much out of that type of stuff and and so there's the physical aspect of that and then there's just the mental aspect of not being worn out, right? Because right. these these student athletes have gone through a lot in the past three weeks and um, or three weeks, three months, and so there's a lot that goes into that too, and probably just the fact that they are so excited to get back on the field, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of overwhelming to have to come in and be like, okay, I still got to earn a spot. I still got to battle for a position, you know, um, and feeling like you really have to work your butt off to do that. So I, I think that that's a really good point. Let me pose this question to you. As I had mentioned, there had been these positive tests that have come back, which is something what we're going to continue to see, I would feel like in these programs and just in sports in general, because you're having people, players, athletes come back from all over the country. And, you know, some of these guys may have participated in peaceful protests. Um, while we've seen many people wear masks, that doesn't guarantee that you're not going to get COVID-19. Um, so some of these guys are coming back and we've had, you know, players test positive in programs for COVID. Is, do you think it just doesn't seem like it's a big deal? There's not been a ton of talk about it. Do you think that it's it that's okay for us not to really worry about that right now, as long as it's not big chunks of players, um, or do you think that that's a concern moving forward? I mean, just you know, monitor. Um, yeah. Having a heightened awareness, I think, is going to be big. The reality of the situation um, from and I'm again, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a statistician. I'm not any a scientist or anything. So don't take my word as gospel. But you know, fact of the matter is when you when you look at the the way COVID's affected people, largely folks with pre-existing conditions, as we know, uh, respiratory issues that are already there um, have suffered 
a lot more. Um, but even if you're younger and you have some of those underlying conditions, you have a very high chance of surviving COVID. Um, as you get older, obviously it hits you harder. And then if you're in a place like a nursing home, which is, you know, probably a lot of compromised older folks, um, COVID's hit hard. So the, 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 the thing that I worry about is how rapidly it could spread through a facility or how rapidly it could spread yeah. through a dorm. But in terms of, in terms of how hard it's going to hit these players and, and how sick they actually get, um, I am more optimistic that, you know, it would, it would hit them maybe as a flu, but not yeah. anything that would require an ICU bed, considering the physical shape that most of these players will be in. Yeah. And I, I, I think that I'm, I'm not so worried about, you know, these, these younger players. Cause a lot of these players that had tested positive in the last week or so, they were actually asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of them didn't even have symptoms. I think that they just need to be careful to remembering in some of these programs. Cause there's so much staff in these college football programs, right? Um, yep. We got it. We got to be aware of these older coaches, you know, these assistants or whatever. We can't forget, like, that's part of these staffs. And so they've got to make sure, and I'm sure that this is something that they're doing, that, um, you know, that is taken into account, too. Like, sometimes, I don't know, maybe do, do they need to be around the facility at this point? Probably not. Just taking that into account, too. Um, and I think just like you were saying, the the issue of it spreading, just making sure that everybody is um you know, getting those daily checks in terms of temperatures and all that. So I think that that's what they're going to do. And we're going to continue to see this pop up. But I think for the most part, it should be fine. Um, And everything should happen on time in terms of college football. So that is exciting. Before we go, I wanted to touch on this. Uh, I think you know where I'm going with this. I'm going to get a little heated. And people can call me annoying for for always bringing this up when it comes to the Heisman. But I've talked about this on several podcasts during the season, too. Look, I love my quarterback just as much as anybody else does. Believe me, I was like the girl in high school who like just oohed and awed over the quarterback. Okay. Yeah. That typical girl. Um, <laughs> but no surprise here. The Heisman odds, there's new ones out. And I just happened to come across this article and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm, st- I'm going through the odds and every name is a quarterback. Sure. Look. Look, I get it. I get it. It's it's the easy thing to do. It's the easy bet to make because that's all that we have done for the past several years, uh, mind you, a couple guys, is vote in a quarterback as the Heisman winner. Look, this is, to me, I just don't get it. Why can't we just make this then the quarterback award? Heisman, the Heisman Award is just for the quarterback. And I am dead serious, Joshua, when I make this argument because I'm I'm just getting annoyed with it because this is it you can just guarantee that one of these four guys that I'm gonna name is gonna win it this year because they're a quarterback. Nothing against any of these guys because I think they're very talented. So tied for first with odds four to one odds to win, Justin Fields from Ohio State and Trevor Lawrence. They have the best odds of winning the Heisman this year, which I I can't really argue with. They're both extraordinary players. Um, But then third on the list, Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler. Okay. Has he taken a snap? I'm sorry. He hasn't taken a snap. Uh, What is this? I'm sure some of you won't even know his name. 
for Sam Ellinger, which yes, he has taken a snap, but we could he argue ain't that good though. <laughs> exactly. Joshua I mean, and I have argued this. Texas to, to, <laughs> to six, seven, eight wins. Are you yes. kidding me? Yeah, we, we probably ripped on Ellinger like four or five times during our podcast yeah. last year. I just don't yeah. think he's that great. Um, so why is he even on the top five for winning the Heisman? Who knows? And then Jamie Newen, Georgia. What yeah. the hell is going on here, people? No, you've not heard of Jamie Newman because he hasn't taken a snap. So to me, like it just I going back to this and then the season has not even started. And these are just odds months before the season. But it has already got me going because, you know, my whole situation on the Heisman. And again, if you're going to vote a quarterback every year, then you change the damn name. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you 100. And and you know it's it's a function of the game of football. Quarterbacks are, you know, they're they're the guys. You know, they do everything nowadays too. They run the ball, they throw the ball. You know, it's it's everything. But here's the reality situation. Outside of this being primarily a quarterback award, you'll never see a linebacker. You'll never see no a defensive back. You'll never see an offensive lineman. You know, you you'll see. You'll see as the season goes on, you'll see running backs and you'll see wide receivers in the odds. You might see a one-off defensive end, Chase Young, obviously a guy who can change the game. We saw him in New York. And, you know, on, until the end of the year when Joe Burrow really, really did what he had to do, I felt like Chase Young was the best player in all of I America. I did too. But the reality of the situation is this this is definitely driven by quarterbacks. And and I'm with you. Like, if, if this is what it's going to be, like, let's either – Let's change the rules of the award where we have yeah. to, you know, like it's it has to not just be quarterback focused or let's just change what yeah. the award's about. Like, I hey, agree. You know, this is going to be the best. But might as well just change it to the best offensive player who's likely a exactly. quarterback in America and then See, call it what it is. See, that's what I'm talking about. And and here's the thing. Like, again, I'm not taking away anything from any of these quarterbacks because a lot of these quarterbacks that have won it um, have been good. But then there's been quarterbacks that have won it that have had have not gone on to even, you know, really have a successful NFL career. And I know that's not what it's about in the end. It's about what they did in college. But at the same time, uh, then it kind of makes it laughable when you look back at some of these guys, right? I mean, it's like, they won the Heisman and then they had no career at the next level. Like, hello, that's hilarious. Um, And then another thing that surprises me, we'll see like running back sprinkled in there just to like, I guess, be like, oh, hey, you know, there's there's somebody other than a quarterback in the running. Um, But you never really see even like a wide receiver, you know, like that. That's never really going to be the case either. Um, But then you see some of these guys really go on to have stellar careers in the NFL, which I think is great then, too, that they're going beyond. The argument is for for a wideout, though, is if they're putting up those stats, then it had to be because the quarterback was because of the quarterback. Yep. You know, no, those things go hand in hand. It's never a quarterback is putting up crazy stats because they're throwing great receivers. See, I'm, I'm that's that's a good point. Reverse no, I mean, roles there. Seriously, Joe Burrow no, was, I'm, was I'm throwing to, to, to some of the best wide receivers and tight ends in all yeah. of America. And without a doubt, in a running back who could catch the ball um, and who was a really good running threat, too. So it, that softens up the pass rush in the pocket a little bit. Like, yep. I, I mean, and not to say that he wasn't the best player in America because what he did was outstanding, but let's not act like he didn't have a supporting cast that yep. was probably best in America too. You had Ohio state who, who had a similar amount of talent offensively. And I don't think it was close outside of that for the, well, and then Clemson, but I mean, those three teams, I think there was a steep drop off after that. 
So the reality of the situation is, you know, wide receiver does it. It's because he's got a great quarterback, but the QB does it. and Nobody's looking at who the wide receivers are. Man, it just gets me. I'm telling you. So and we'll probably have this discussion later on when the season starts. Because I'm just, this is one of the topics that I just, I will not let go of that. Um, hey, <laughs> um, we re- enjoyed you guys uh, hopping on today. Hopefully you you got a variety of topics you can discuss. I know that Joshua is very active on his social media right now, especially. I'm, I know that you've been talking with people and having debates and good conversation as well. And that will continue. So if people have a question for you, regarding this podcast or just anything in general where can they go um to have that conversation with you josh you can find me at rip underscore jep on twitter and instagram um lately i've been sharing personal nuggets on there um but i've also been sharing you know easily consumable especially on my instagram easily consumable like infographic type of things on my story where you can educate yourself in a Mm -hmm. short period of time on little tidbits of what's going on in the world and I implore people who listen to just check those out. I think it's beneficial for everybody. Um, it's very non-combative. It's it's very inoffensive to just sit there and watch a couple of these stories and scroll through some of the posts of the original authors of them um, because it provides really great perspective and awesome content. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And that's he's definitely a good resource. And even if you're not having a conversation, you know, like we are live, you can definitely have one. Um, and I know you take the time to do that on Twitter. You can go follow me at Kayla Anderson TV on Instagram and Twitter, and then our Instagram handle at Press Pass Pod. And we enjoyed again. Uh, it's been it's been I know two weeks of of a lot, but I feel like we've had great conversation. Hopefully, you guys have enjoyed the conversation. You've learned some stuff as well. I know that the the weeks counting down to college football. Hopefully, uh, we're getting to that point. You can kind of see it as we're we're in we're starting to involve some football specific stuff here so that's exciting but uh, if you have not subscribed you guys do us a favor go subscribe on apple Podcasts. It's really easy to do just press uh type in i should say press pass podcast and then give us a subscribe and rate and review we would appreciate that and we will be back here same time same place next week and we look forward to you guys tuning in have a great one